Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. What's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. This is our first episode of 2021, so starting the year off wild, starting the year off right. So for those of you that haven't seen it, it's really only been posted on Instagram, and I mentioned it on the podcast as well, but we're doing 21 reps for 21 days to set the momentum for 2021. So very simple. For 21 days in a row, any exercise you want, rows, push-ups, tucks, slams, I don't care what it is, but do pick a movement every day, do 21 reps. It does not have to be the same exercise every single day. So mix it up, get a little bit of wildness. You don't even necessarily have to use monkey gear. So if you're like, you know, at the office, out on the trail, drop down, do some push-ups, do some squats, do some jump lunges, do whatever, just 21 reps for 21 days at a minimum and you got to get it done in January. So you have until January 10th to start. So make it happen. And our guest today is the wild man, Dude Spellings, down in Austin, Texas. And I'd heard Dude on a, I've got to remember, the Primal Blueprint podcast episode. And he was talking to Brad Kearns, who was just on our show a few episodes back. But they were talking about Dude's micro workout protocol, which at the time he was doing like 350 push ups, hundreds of pull ups, running. I think he was doing like several hundred jump squats as well. It was just, it was a ton of volume and he was just throughout the day, you know, he had a, he has like a quote unquote normal job. So throughout the day, every hour or so he's getting up and doing just one set, but throughout the day it was adding up to these huge volume. So I was very intrigued by their conversation and dude is also a primal health coach and I'll link to his website and some of the other stuff we mentioned as well in the episode. He's just one of those guys that really is into thinking about health, wellness, fitness, nutrition, all that stuff from a holistic approach. And we had a great conversation. We kind of took a journey all over the place. So stick it out with us. And I think you'll get a lot of good nuggets from this episode. Another thing about dude that I was really curious to hear about was he did the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. So that's that 50 plus mile double crossing of the Grand Canyon. He did it essentially fasted. So he took in almost no calories until I think it was mile 38. So we definitely talk about that as well. So it was a really fun, uh, really fun conversation and we're looking forward to having more. So please enjoy our first Live Wild or Die podcast of 2021 with the wild man, Dude Spellings. Here we go. How's it going, dude? Good, good. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, kind of out of the blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I love I love doing the podcast thing. It's uh, it's fun. I'm a kind of a talkative person, so it it's up my alley. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I had heard you, well, a few times on the primal, excuse me, primal blueprint. And, uh, I just, I've, I've found myself just constantly just like water taking the path of least resistance towards the micro workouts and hearing what you were up to is like, man, that's, uh, that's next level. So I'm really curious to learn more. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I mean, I'm certainly not the expert on it. Um, I think I mentioned in, in that podcast that uh, I kind of just heard about it in passing, listening to Pavel right. on a, on a podcast. And he had mentioned this and it was a while back way before COVID. And uh, you know, I, I, I have a 40 hour a week corporate job. And so I thought, well, you know, that's, that's kind of nice, but I, I'm, I don't, I can't get up from my desk every hour and do that. I mean, I, you know, I can, it's not like where I work is a prison, sure. but uh, you know, the kind of stuff that I, first of all, I work on the 12th floor, so like going all the way down 12 floors to the gym every hour is that's a lot of time. So what I was doing at my, when I was in the office was just like walk. I, I literally not every hour, maybe every 90 minutes or so I would just walk, I'd go to walk the stairwell, walk down to the 12th floor and to, down to the ground floor and back up to the 12th floor. And like, that was my quote unquote workout. Gotcha. And then how did you evolve to, so what are you doing like I've seen you post a few times, but you're doing like 350 push-ups, hundreds of pull-ups. Like, how did you get from, you know, a trip up and down 12 flights to this massive volume? You know, well, it was definitely incremental. Okay. So, so I, you know, I had heard about this micro workouts from Pavel, right? And his the super simple way that he describes it is, okay, let's let's take a normal uh, desk jockey who works out, right? You're what you're normally going to do for say pull-ups. You're, you're going to do, you know, like three sets of eight twice a week, right? So that's 52 pull-ups in a week. And the way he described it was like, you'd be much better off if instead of doing your max of eight reps, do four, but do them every hour. And you know, so then if you're doing, say, in an eight hour day, right, that's 32 a day. And then over the course of a five day work week, you know, now you're way up in the 150 range or whatever. Right. 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 And that just made a lot of sense to me. Like, oh, yeah, obviously, if your volume triples, you're going to be stronger. Sure. And and so I wanted to do this, but I was just never in a position to do it. But then when COVID hit. I'm like, oh, I'm working from home. I got a pull-up bar installed in my doorway. I, you know, have some weights here and kettlebells and you know, I can do all whatever I want, right? And really it, the body weight stuff just seemed to be the easiest because, you know, I'm still trying to work my 40-hour job, 40-hour sure. week job. <laughs> so even though I can do this every 60 minutes, every 90 minutes, it still only, it still needs to be like five or 10 minutes, not a big workout. Right. Sure. Sure. So I started with that premise that pa Pavel mentioned, right? So take your max effort, cut it in half. Right. So, you know, if you're like, for me, uh, I can do, I don't know, 50 or 60 pushups straight. Nice. So I just started, okay, I'm going to do 40. Okay. Or, sorry, I'm going to do 20, half half of 40, right? I'm going to start off with 20. 
And um, I just noticed like it was even just the first week, it was getting so much easier. And with something like pull-ups, you really notice it a lot, right? So most people, they can't do 20 or 30 pull-ups in a row, right? Right. So if your max is eight or 10 or 12, um, doing four or six is way more attainable, right? But you still, because your max is only 10, like you still feel five. Right. Right. But after doing this for like a couple weeks, I realized like, oh, five pull-ups now is like nothing. I should <laughs> add some, right? And so that's how it kind of started. And then once I added on the, on the pull-ups, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should add on the push-ups and the squats also, right? And so I, I just started kind of adding very low numbers, you know, like so for the pull-ups, I'm just adding like one more pull-up a week. And, if, but if you're doing, you know, like a, you start off with a set of four. Was it, was it one more a week or one more per set? So, sorry. One more per set. Gotcha. Okay. Every time I do it. Okay. Right? Okay. So, so the week one and two, I start off with like four and then I'm like, Oh, this is easy. So then I was doing five every hour, every 90 minutes. And then I got to the point where, you know, I was, I could do like, I think I was doing 12 every 90 minutes or so. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's, that's how you get to that volume of doing like 150 in a day. Right. Right. So it, which by the total aside, did you see the CrossFit games this year? I did not. So they had this surprise mystery workout for the last workout. Okay. And they're building suspense to the whole thing. And then, then they revealed it at the last workout. And it was a hundred handstand pushups. Follow what? Well, sorry. It was weight, all of it with weighted vest. Oh, so run, run a mile, 100 handstand pushups, 200 pistol squats. <laughs> And 300 pull-ups. <laughs> Plus another mile or no? Plus another mile, yeah. So kind of like a, like a Murph on, Murph. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so the, the way they described how they came up with it was that they took Murph and then they took the, the exercises between the run out and put in the equivalent volume of Cindy, I think, was the workout. Okay, interesting. Gosh, man. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, used to, I was a CrossFit coach for like a decade and, uh, have kind of shifted away from that just for other pursuits. But I, uh, I like, I like where their minds at for that. <laughs> yeah. So, so this will be a very interesting, uh, discussion between you and me. Sure. It, since you've like moved away from CrossFit. Sure. So I've been a runner. If you listen to my previous podcast, yeah. I, was, I have some success very modest success in running. Um, and I've kind of, you know, just lifted to support my running. So never anything super, you know, strength oriented. And, um, I always shied away from CrossFit because 
I knew so many people that got injured doing mm. it. Right. And I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you. I'm 50. So, um, my age group, right? Like injuries are pretty common. And I, and so I just had seen all these people that were getting injured and not all of them old too, right? Like people, also people in their twenties and thirties. And I did, and I knew like a big component of the whole thing was the competitiveness in the workouts. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm like competitive and I like, I could fall easily into that trap of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do, you know, more weight or more reps or whatever. Right. And so I just was like, I, I'm not doing that because that's a recipe for injury for me. But after I started doing all this body weight stuff at home, I, I kind of wanted to um, like take the strength part a little further. And so I, I, I know plenty of people in the CrossFit business here in Austin. So I just, contacted one of them and like, Hey, are you, it's, co- it's still COVID. Are you guys open? Right. And like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, when can I come work out? And she's like, tomorrow, tomorrow morning at 6am. I'm like, okay, I'll be there. Nice. Yeah. So I just started uh, in like July. Oh, okay. Right on. Okay. Yeah. And I really like it. And I'm very um, cognizant of the, pushing it too hard and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that my whole approach has just been, you know, cut the weight. If I can't do the movement, cut the weight, don't push myself too hard, you know, like push, like I've been working out a long time. I, I, I know when I've pushed myself enough to get growth. Right. Right. And, you know, I can just stop when I get to that point. Totally. Yeah. You know, I, I'm always, I want to be nuanced about my experience with CrossFit. I, I love CrossFit. I think it's great. But I think what the challenge for me was like being a coach, you you kind of, you know, it could have been just in my head, but you're kind of on this pedestal where you have to be like constantly crushing it. And, or at least you feel that way. Right. So I would, uh, I would definitely, I would just do so much volume. And I was also younger, you know, I was, it was from my early twenties until kind of my early thirties. So I had that resilience a little bit more, but, um, that competitive mindset was just so hard for me to escape. But when the people like yourself that have that proper mindset, you know, they get so much benefit and, um, the variation and the strength and the metabolic conditioning and everything is just so valuable. I think so. Oh, I, I mean, week one of CrossFit, (laughs) you know, I really realized how much range of motion I'd lost just because I never do certain movements. Right. Right. And you look at really old people, like in their eighties, like I was actually, I just got back from Cancun. And oh, you look a little tan. <laughs> well, I also have my, <laughs> and you got the, on. the, co- the, yeah, yeah, the red, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, when we were down there, um, my girlfriend and I saw this, uh, older couple that were at least seventies, maybe, maybe older. And every time that the guy wanted to look around, Right. Instead of just turning his head, he turned his whole torso. Right. Because he is like that stiff and Mm. doesn't have that range of motion. So doing CrossFit really opened my eyes to like how many movements I just don't do enough. And I've lost the range of motion in that movement. Sure. 
What, what did you notice specifically? So, uh, overhead squat for sure. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. Like that's very difficult for me. That's something I just haven't done that movement, you know? Sure. And, uh, rewind way back beginning of my health journey. Um, one of the things that kind of catapulted me into, to revitalizing my health was I threw my back out. Okay. And I didn't really know anything about really how to rehab it. Um, but I knew enough that when I went to the doctor and they're like, well, we don't really know how to fix this, but we'll shoot you up with cortisone if you want. So was it a disc, was it a disc herniation or what was the actual injury? Mm, There was no, uh, like that was the frustrating thing. And I think a lot of people experience this is, you know, they do an x-ray and an MRI and they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't see anything. So there's really nothing we can do, but we'll shoot it with cortisone. Okay. Right. And I knew enough to know, like, that's just a bandaid and I didn't want that. And I remember specifically asking the doctor like, Hey, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to just mask the pain. I want to find out like what, why this happened so that I don't do it again or can fix it. Right. Right. And when you go to like a ortho uh, orthopedic doctor, they're just like, Oh, we don't know. No one knows. Like this is just, you know, your x-ray and your MRI come back clean. Like who knows? So, but I, that, that experience made me want to like look at other alternative stuff. And I ended up in this chiropractor's office and they're like, oh yeah, no, we know what that's from. That's from a 20 year career of deaths. <laughs> and you're, you've turned off your glutes. You have gluteal amnesia. You have, um, your hamstrings are flexed all day long. Your hips are flexed all day long. And, um, you know, your low back is, uh, weak and, you know, then, and then compounding that with the running I was doing. Mm -hmm, So, so the way I, I, I also teach a online health and wellness class and kind of target people in my demographic. And the way I explain it there is like, okay, so let's say you're, you practice, um, baseball eight hours a day. And you, you also practice tennis one hour a day, which one are you going to be better at? Sure. Sure. And that's to illustrate the point. Like you're, when you're sitting at your desk for eight to 10 hours a day, you're practicing being a desk sitter, right? So all those muscles that you need to run, to jump, to stand up straight, to, um, you know, do any other activity besides death sitting, all those muscles are getting weakened and atrophied and, and over the course of 20 years, right. You end up like I was, you wake up one day. And when I threw my back out, I was sitting on the floor, stretching, trying to touch my toes. Oh, wow. Okay. Just like that, like kind of grabbing feeling where you just feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I reached out and touched my toes and I had this just, instant uh like um spasm in my back and mm-hmm. it made me immediately like lay down and just lay on my back and i couldn't move my buddies came over to help me and i'm like no 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 no, leave me alone dude i cannot move right now 
So it was, it was rather debilitating to have that experience. It was a, it was a rather debilitating experience to then go to a doctor and then say, Oh, we, we can't find anything wrong with you. Right. Right. And so anyway, I started the, that, um, the, the chiropractor like, yeah, we know what this is. And we actually have a, um, two night a week program for desk sitters that targets strengthening the glute and the core so that you don't do this again. I'm like, Oh, sign me up. And that was kind of my road. I was still run. I was running at the time, which was kind of making everything worse. Sure. Okay. Because I'm sitting for eight to 10 right, hours a day. Okay. Go run hard for an hour. Okay. So you, so you were like doing, you're sitting all day running on top of that. But in your analogy, it was like an eight to one ratio essentially. Right. And then you had the back go out and then that kind of set you on the trajectory of getting more into health and fitness and wellness and being a primal health coach and the micro workouts and all that. Yep. So yeah. re- back to the micro workouts real quick. So can you just articulate kind of like, what does a typical day look like as far as like, so if you're working eight hours, is it every hour on the hour type of thing? Or how do you kind of break it out? What exercises, all that? Yeah, good question. And I should also, let me start off explaining that when I first started, it was really fun to see how much I could ramp it up. And, sure. You know, posting the stuff in my Facebook group, like, oh yeah, I did 500 pushups today. And 100, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was all fun. Um, but I also quickly realized that it started, even though it was not strenuous, like once you're no longer doing five pull-ups and 20 squats and 20 push-ups, and instead you're doing 20 pull-ups and 50 push-ups and 40 squats, now it's taking 15, 20 minutes, right? Sure, sure, okay. So it became so, like a time factor. From the well. volume, I realized like I need to dial this back just so that I'm I stay on task. Sure. With other things. Sure, sure. So the way that uh, the way that I did it was I just got my phone and I put a countdown timer. At first, I was doing it for sixty minutes. Okay. And then I realized that ninety minutes was probably a little bit better. Okay. Just for productivity at work. Sure. And so I set my countdown timer for 90 minutes. And when it goes off, I just do my little micro workout. And it, I like using the countdown timer better because it, it allows me to be more fluid in the scheduling. So if I have calls and meetings and stuff, you know, I know I'm going to, I got to call it, you know, if you do it the other way where you just set a time, you know, a, an alarm at whatever, 8 a.m., 9.30, 11, then you have to, like, your alarm's going off during your meetings and, sure. you know. Right, right, stuff. yeah. So I just set the countdown timer and I'll, like, look at my schedule and go, okay, uh, I got a meeting in one hour that's going to last uh 45 minutes. So, okay, I need to set the countdown timer for an hour and 45 minutes. Gotcha. Okay. So you kind of work it in around your tasks in a sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I use a, uh, I got a little egg timer, a sand hourglass. I just, I like getting off, uh, just getting off the tech, you know, the, the beeping and, but it's just a nice, like kind of 
it's soft is how I describe it. It's a soft alarm. Well, I, I mean, I like that as a primal health coach, I I'm all about trying to minimize the tech. Sure. Although I, I also think like it's a definitely a double-edged sword, right? I mean, Absolutely. you can use the tech to your advantage and you can also become a slave to the tech. So sure. I try to minimize the slave part. For sure. And so when you're doing it for your micro workouts, is it the same exercises, same reps every yep. day? Yep. And what, what are, what do those look like? So I scaled it back to, um, I'm doing six pull-ups. Okay. One thing I did with the pull-ups to sort of amp it up a bit, but um, still only keep it at six is I put a 25 pound dumbbell between my legs. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's, it's easy to add weight to the pull-ups. Right. 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 And, um, and then for the push-ups, I still just do push-ups. Okay. Uh, do 20 push-ups. 20 push-ups. Don't, I don't try to add weight to oh, that. Okay. And then for the squats, I, I have an X3 bar. Okay. Are you, are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, so for the listeners that don't know, it's resistance bands. And uh, I just do 20 squats with the resistance bands. Okay. I'm taking notes here so I can uh, give accurate show notes. And then I, I remember on a, on that episode you talked about, do you, do you do any running as well or any um, squat jumps or anything like that? Uh, I was okay. So yeah, good, uh, good memory. So um, <laughs> I've moved since then. Okay. And at that time I lived in an apartment building and at lunch I would go out to get vitamin D and I would walk around my apartment building with no shirt on. Okay. And I think one lap was like an eighth of a mile or something like that. So I would just go out and walk a mile. And then every time I would do a lap, I would do like, uh, yeah, like 20 squat jumps. Okay. Okay. And then, so just now it's six pull-ups, 20 push-ups, 20 squats. And you're doing that maybe how many times a day are you doing that as far as like sets? Yeah. Like five or six. Okay. Just depending on the, on the scheduling and okay. stuff. And then do you do any like formal workouts on top of that? CrossFit. Okay. Okay. And how many CrossFit sessions do you do typically a week? I only, I'm only doing two a week. Right okay. Now. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I, I, I start, like I told you, I started in July. Right. And I didn't really know what a good regimen would be. I started off to be honest. I started off with two a week for the price. Sure. Right. And as I get into it, because of the deficiencies I was explaining, the, I found that the two a week, was a, enough to give me enough recovery to go back. Right? right. So like all these movements that I'm unfamiliar with, I would get very sore doing, uh, I mean, pretty much the only thing I wasn't getting sore at was pull-ups. I was going to say probably pull-ups, push-ups and squats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So any, anything that had pull-ups or push-ups, I was like cranking that out like, faster than everybody, but, um, all the other stuff, like the overhead, um, squats and stuff. I, I, I'm using like almost no weight and 
it's it's difficult for me to get into that movement and stuff and i could but it's great i can tell it's like really doing things to my body that i need like um a lot of stuff uh that i don't that isn't specifically targeting the core i'll get done with that in the next day i'm like oh wow like my core is very sore from like front squats or overhead squats or even um uh I don't know, like uh, um, kettlebell swings, yeah, box jumps, burpees, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I my favorite, I the Olympic lifting to me was that. If people to me, if people can Olympic lift well, and, and it doesn't even matter if they can do a lot of weight, but if you can Olympic lift with decent form and you know modest loads, that typically means you're gonna have one a really good range of motion because those lifts just inherently require that, but. It, to me that had the greatest crossover. Like if I was just training for like, you know, an Olympic weightlifting competition or something like that. And then I did like a wad, like, um, I remember it was the, the open one year and I hadn't really been doing a ton of conditioning, but all that Olympic weightlifting just, it made my movement so efficient, I think was what yeah. it was, you know? Yeah. Also this year's CrossFit games, um, they had a, they had a, um, uh, snatch um ladder right right and um the the heaviest weight in the snatch ladder was 285 for men yeah okay and i'm I'm like thinking i mean if you can snatch 285 right yeah i mean that is like all the things you mentioned, you got to have range of motion, flexibility, strength, um, agility, quickness, like all this stuff. And it just, when I saw that, I'm like, man, you know, this Olympic lifting stuff, just like you said, it's like, doesn't get enough credit for the like well-rounded attributes that it requires. Right. Well, and I remember in high school, I'll never forget this. It was a, a sports medicine class in high school. And the teacher talked about, you know, he's like, all right, guys, what do you think is the least, the sport with the least amount of injuries? And everyone's like, you know, uh, swimming track, whatever, golf. fencing golf. Yeah. And it was Olympic weightlifting, like on a percentage. Wow. Um, I don't know how accurate that is. You know, this was my, my high school. Uh, I think he was the athletic trainer at the high I school. I bet it's pretty accurate. I mean, people, uh, yeah. people, so one of the other things I do is I run a golf league. Hmm. And man, people think of golf as like this old person sport that is just, you know, beer drinking and stuff. And you can do it that way. Sure. Right? But my golf league, I, I've got tons of like, I've had PGA professionals playing the league and I've got tons of aspiring PGA prof professionals playing in the league. And the one thing that people don't see when they are looking at golf on TV is that the PGA tour is just loaded with people with chronic, um, uh, what do they call it? Like, Oh, like uh, overuse injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Repetitive motion injuries. Right. Right. Cause these guys are practicing, they're hitting like 1500 golf balls a day. Mm -hmm. Right. So you talk about a repetitive motion. I mean, they're just doing the same. And like, that's the whole point of golf is to like, 
be able to exactly repeat the same motion. And so they've got all kinds of injuries, soft tissue, ligaments, tendons, all I mean, it, there's a lot of injuries in golf. People don't see it because when the people are injured, they don't play. Right, right. Well, that's actually, I want to ask you about that. Have you, you know, if you're doing this, you're doing a pretty high volume with the micro workouts. Have you thought, like, do you see that being a potential for a repetitive use injury or do you think it's a low enough intensity or? I think it's a low enough intensity what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. I think if I had gone, I mean, that that's kind of another reason I dialed it back. Okay. Is because I started noticing, you know, like if I'm doing that much volume, like you're training to be a push up and pull up machine. Right. Right. And I definitely noticed like my shoulders getting tight and uh, that kind of stuff. But at the, at the loads I'm doing now, plus adding the CrossFit, uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting into that zone. Sure. Sure. So uh, one thing I was really curious to ask you about is the rim to rim to rim. Oh yeah. So you, so I know just to give a little background, you did the rim to rim to rim and your goal was to do it fasted, correct? Yes. And so I guess, could you maybe just give a little background on that and then yeah. talk about the afterwards as well? Yeah. So, um, so I've always been a runner. I ran in high school. Um, and then as an adult, I got into marathoning and then ultra marathoning. And I don't, I don't know how many ultras I've done. It's, I'm sure it's well over 30 or 40. Oh, wow. What, what typical, what type of distances were you into? Uh, my favorite distance is 50 K. Okay. Nice. Which is 31 miles. That, okay. And that's, that's kind of the shortest ultra that you can do. Right. Um, I did do a few, um, 50 milers. Okay. And I like the 50 miler as well. I did one 100 K and decided like that, I just, that's getting into like a zone of pain that I, it's not fun anymore. Right. So I, I quit at that distance. Maybe the craziest thing I've done is I did 143 miles in three days. Oh, wow. Okay. What, what was that Sierra event? Nevada. That was Sierra's? Yeah. What, what was the course? It was just me and a buddy went out there and wanted to do it. I, I, I used to be a wilderness ranger out there. So I'm curious what, uh, Oh yeah. What, which part? So I worked in Sequoia national forest on the West yeah, side. We, we, yeah. We went through there. Okay. Um, it was a John Muir trail. Oh, you were on the John Muir trail. Okay. Yeah. I, I hiked that actually a few years ago, but, um, where, where did you start and where did you finish? We, we started in Yosemite okay. and we finished in, um, independence. Oh, okay. Nice. Okay. Kearsarge pass. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Dang. I mean, that's like that. I was just actually reading about the John Muir trail last night. That is such, I mean, the Sierras, I grew up in California and the Sierras are just, there's, there's the Sierra magic. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It, I love it. It's, I, my, yeah. it's my favorite place ever. I <laughs> it love is. It is. I've done the John Muir trail three times. I've done the Tahoe Yosemite trail twice. Okay. Wow. Um, I've hiked, I've been to Yosemite 20 times. Okay. I actually was a ranger there for like a half season. Um, oh man, that's nice. Which I, I actually turned down a job there, which in hindsight, I don't know if it was the best idea, but, um, anyhow, did what you did the drummer trail three times? You said, yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, okay. So, man. so back to my rim to rim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Back to the, and the, the desert and the, and the doing it fasted. 
So um, my whole running career, I, I really just um, kind of ran as hard as I could all the time. And that works when you're young and you heal quickly, right? And then once I got into like my mid-30s, late-30s, um, I started coming down with all these kinds of injuries. And by the way, that did contribute to my back injury, right? Because I'm, mm. I'm running hard not uh, and doing it daily, right? So not, not giving myself enough time to recovery plus the eight hours of death sitting and all that. So when I, once I started um, getting back into fitness and, and whatnot, uh, I picked up speed golf. Okay. And a friend, a friend here in Texas introduced me to it. And I was probably like 40 pounds overweight. Okay. The first time I did it. And my buddy finished, he was fifth in the world. Oh, wow. At speed golf. And so he finished like, you know, 45 minutes ahead of me. And so I get in and I'm thinking, God, man, I'm like, this is terrible. And he comes up and he's like super excited. He's like, man, you did awesome. You did great. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, you know, he goes, no, no, no. I can tell you're in shape and or, or I can tell that you have some running ability. You just need to get in shape. If you lost some weight, you could probably go to the world championships in your age group. Oh, wow. And I was like what really? And he goes, and this was in January and he goes, yeah, the world championships are in October, man. Start getting in shape. So that motivated me to lose weight. So I just did what I knew to do, which was, um, you know, calorie restriction. Mm -hmm. I downloaded my fitness pal and it was pretty remarkable to like see, Oh, when I have a 3,600 calorie deficit, I basically kind of lose a pound. Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, so that was kind of cool to see. And I lost, I don't know, like 20 pounds pretty between January and, and October. Mm -hmm. And I was still a little bit heavy. And I went into the world championships just thinking like, oh man, I just, I just hope I don't embarrass myself with the time. Right. And, uh, so I, I did that. And then at the, the player's dinner after the event, my buddy here that was, introduced me to it he knew brad kearns the host of the, the wild Rebel man brad be rad now yeah <laughs> and and by the way brad lives in tahoe now yeah actually you know he uh we just did a podcast um a couple weeks ago oh nice and quick shout out to brad that macadamia nut butter man it's yeah, so oh, it's good awesome. it's so good <laughs> yeah so anyway i sat next to brad at the dinner and my buddy Scott was like, Hey, uh, Brad, dude has a really cool story. You'd probably like it. And so I told him, you know, I got in shape and he's like, Oh, how'd you do that? And I'm like calorie restriction and exercise. And he's like, Oh man, that's really hard. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, there's an easier way. I was like, what? No, tell me. <laughs> and so he started telling me about the, you know, primal methods mm -hmm. and, referred me to primal blueprint or primal endurance. Okay. The book that he and Mark wrote after primal blueprint. And so I ordered it on Amazon, like right there. And it was at my house when I got home and like the first line in the book is something like, are you the guy that, that lines up at the marathon marathon starting line? And you know that you're 20 pounds overweight. 
yes, that is me. Damn it. <laughs> and so the whole premise of really primal blueprint also, but specifically primal endurance is to, to um, wean yourself off the carbohydrate dependency and use fat as a primary fuel. So I spent a good solid two years probably really focusing on um, regaining my fat burning ability and also at the same time upping my aerobic capacity. What, what do you think was, I guess, the number one tactic or the most useful tactic for kind of reigniting that fat burning or excuse me, well, I, is using I, fat as a primary fuel, I guess, is a better question. It, there's no magic bullet. Right. But I would say, like, the first critical step is getting off the carbohydrates mm -hmm. and the sugar. Okay. Right. So most, most people, most Americans are consuming way too much carbohydrate and sugar, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it just... Again, back to the eight to one analogy, right? If you're training your body to always be a good sugar burner, that comes at the cost of being a good fat burner, right? Right. If you never ask your body to burn fat, you get bad at it. Right. Um, so I spent a good year like redoing my diet, redoing my, um, the way I train, doing fasted runs. Um, and I, I, I guess, you know, for the listeners, if you really want, I guess, like a, a, a decent framework for that. So one, get off the sugar and that, that sucks. It's hard, right? Get off the, the sugar and the carbs, especially anything processed. And then, um, two, start with a 12 hour fasting window between dinner and breakfast, right? So, um, that should be easy for most people, right? And I, and I think if a hundred years ago people did that by default, sure. Um, but nowadays, with our late lifestyle, indoor lighting and screens, and the ability to stay up late, plus people working late and all this stuff, most people are like eating late, and then they get up early to go to work and you know slam a bagel or a energy bar or something before they go to work. And that fasting window while you're sleeping is really kind of you're designed to burn fat there, right? And most people are so carbohydrate dependent that they're eating something late at night that's sweet right before they go to bed, and then they eat something that's sweet right when they wake up. So if you can cut out the sweets and then extend that period, that's really going to I, I think that's the foundation of how to be a better fat burner. Right. Right. And a lot of people are, you know, very into the intermittent fasting um, these days and they expand that window from 12 hours to 16 or 18 or 20 hours, some 23, some people are doing one meal a day where they just eat dinner or whatever. Right. Um, and I, I played around with all that when I was, when I was doing that, but the fasted runs was, really kind of how I did that. And I, it was amazing. So the, the whole key to the fasted run is you got to stay in your aerobic zone, 
right? Because if you go over your aerobic zone, you're going to be burning glucose. So the key to, to, to running fasted is you want to stay below your aerobic threshold so that you continue to burn fat. And I played around with this just training in my around my house. And I got to the point where I could in winter, like Austin summers are hot, but in winter uh, I could run like over 20 miles with no food and no water. Oh, wow. Right. Because another side benefit people don't realize from fat oxidation the byproducts of fat oxidation is water and CO2. Right. So basically, okay. you're, you're turning your fat into water. Gosh, that's so – it makes total sense. It's like obvious, but I've never thought of it that way. Nobody thinks about it, right? Yeah. I mean, like how do you think these, these uh, equatorial Africans that are winning all the marathons and shit, like they're training in this environment where, uh, you know, they're – they're able to to employ this tactic like just second nature like that's what they do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but anyway so i started doing all that and you know i was able to do some pretty cool things like like run um marathons and 50ks with with no food and um then i just uh, my cousin planned a trip out to the Grand Canyon and I just, and I'd done it 13 years earlier. Oh, wow. And employed the complete opposite strategy, right? I was like, had a backpack full of gels and power bars and crap and, uh, stopped every 40 minutes to slam a gel and whatever. And so now since I was operating on this new paradigm, I just wanted to, see if I could do the whole thing fasted, stay below my aerobic threshold and do the whole thing fasted. I did throw a few gels in there for emergency fuel. Right. And it turns out I did need them uh, going up the South Rim on the way back. What, what, what uh, distance did you get to before you consumed? 38 miles. Oh, wow. Okay. Before I, I mean, anything. Gosh, with that vert though, that's like, you know, that's just a whole... <laughs> It's a whole, I, I did the rim to rim to rim. Um, I think it was two years ago. We went with the group. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. A bunch of us went out, we started super early going down. I twisted my ankle like a half mile into it. So I had to bail, but I went back like a month later, which was a bummer. Cause I had one buddy yeah. came and he waited at Phantom ranch while I went to the North rim. But, um, you know, I was, I had a large pack full of, uh, fuel for sure. Yeah, so when I did the when I did it this time, I I had a three liter water bladder. Okay. So that's some weight, right? And then really the rest, I just had electrolytes, and um, I think I took four gels. Okay. And um, my secret weapon was uh, beef liver. Oh, nice. When, when what the beef liver was that like uh during before what when did that during okay yeah so so i guess it technically wasn't zero food okay but it was uh like there's not a lot of calories in you know a, a small capsule of beef liver i was gonna say were you taking the capsules okay yeah, yeah you know i when i heard about you doing it fast i was like gosh you know i wasn't that hungry necessarily you know, I was there mid-May, so it was pretty hot, especially down once you got past right. Phantom. 
and coming back especially. But, um, you know, I probably only ate maybe half the food I carried. Um, I think that might've been just a little ranger, you know, mindset of being a little overprepared, but yeah, I was curious. I was, it really was interesting hearing you say, and then you fasted that night as well. Correct. My cousin runs a group here in Austin called Rogue Running. Okay. And she's, she's amazing event organizer and plans all these amazing fun adventure runs and stuff. So, so this wasn't a, uh, and she gets people to pay her to do that too. Um, but this was not a paid event. This was just like, she gathered, you know, I think it was like 10 people to go do this. Cool. And when we got to done, you know, as well organized as she is, she had this pizza stack of pizza boxes, literally like three or four feet high that, that, uh, everybody was picking out on pizza. And I, and I wanted to try first of all, I don't eat pizza. Um, I, I, try to avoid wheat and gluten. Um, but then I thought, you know, I always have heard that fasting after something like that helps eliminate um, inflammation and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to like fast until breakfast to see if it helped the recovery. And I, I, I do think it did. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot to it, right? I think when you stay in, uh, below aerobic threshold, you're not making lactic acid and, you know, your muscles aren't getting quite as, uh, fatigued. Right. So I think that helped. And then I think the fasting helped also. Right. Yeah. When I heard that, I was just reflecting back and like, we, we, uh, I, I was the guy with the pizza boxes when I rolled my ankle for everyone, when they came back, when they finished. But, um, when I went back, my buddy and I, we went to the Mexican place in town and I remember I wasn't even really that hungry, honestly. It was just kind of like, a, you know, after a big day like that, you're just, oh, I should refuel. But I wonder if, you know, electrolytes, I think, were a big thing for me. Like, I remember getting some salt tablets from someone down at Phantom, and that was a, that was the biggest boost more than any, yeah. any food. But I wonder if just, a, you know, a good dose of electrolytes and maybe just a little, like some liver, you know, some good lean, something like that, and then just chill till the next morning would be the way to go. Yeah. I, I, it helped me for sure. Um, I was definitely, so I, like I said, I'd done it 13 years before and this time I did it two hours faster. Oh, wow. Even though I was 13 years older. Right. And, um, I was definitely less sore the next day. Interesting. Okay. Do you think that had to do with training volume before or anything like that or? Oh yeah. No, I trained for it. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely trained for it and I trained, um, fasted, like made sure to like try to mimic the real environment, which is, I mean, you cannot mimic walking straight uphill for eight miles. Um, so what I would do is, um, just get on a treadmill. Okay. And I would, I'd, I'd get on a treadmill and literally walk for like four hours. Oh, wow. Okay. Just at the incline, I put it max incline nice, okay. <laughs> totally. and, and walk for four hours. Totally. Yeah. That's now no. the, um, I want to talk about my, my theory about the beef liver. Okay. So my, my theory for why I did the beef liver is, um, so obviously 
most people have enough body fat that if you're fueling on fat, uh, you're not going to run out of fuel, right? I mean, even somebody with say low body fat, like 8%, right? I mean, that's probably 1% of people, 8% or below, right? Right. Uh, but say like a 150 pound man, you know, 8% is still 12 pounds of fat. So you can, you, I mean, you can cut, you could walk from, I don't know, uh, probably like Austin to Boulder on 12 pounds of fat. And so I figured that like probably what fatigues people and what really is the limiting factor, it's not the calories, it's the micronutrients. That makes total sense. You probably run out of micronutrients at some point during that kind of vigorous exercise. And so beef liver is like the most nutrient dense food on the planet. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's, uh, that'll cover most of the bases. Right. So I'll just, just use that. Right. Well, it's like having a stack of firewood, but no way to start it, you know, right. light the yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It makes that's total sense. Analogy. Makes total sense. So when are you going back? Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> or what, I, the better question would be: What do you, any uh, any other challenges like that on your radar? No, um, I'm. Tr- I what I want to do is uh, really build my coaching practice. Okay. So I'm kind of focusing on that right now, and okay. not really in any other kind of um, extreme uh, goals. I'll probably. I'll probably do a Spartan race or something this fall. Cool. I've done a couple of those and they're kind of fun. Cool. And it gives me like a more modest goal to train for that doesn't require, uh, you know, hours and hours of training. Right. You know, on that, I, that's a good segue. Cause I, I have a whole list of notes about, um, primal health coaching, but you know, when I, the way I trained for rim to rim to rim was, it was pretty low mileage and even time. Um, I was doing CrossFit at the time. So this would have been 20, was it 2018 or 29? I think it was 2018. So I was doing like a couple CrossFit workouts a week. And I did that for just a couple months, just for that high intensity, like block. But as far as, you know, we're so lucky here in Boulder, man. I mean, you can do just endless vert, you know, just all over town. Yeah. But, um, I only did, I did one long run a week. I think the longest I did was 20 miles and what I did about three or four weeks out, I just clustered three days in a row. So I think I did a 15, a 14 and 11 mile day, just stacked mm-hmm. and then just tapered from there. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fast distance runner, but I was able to do it and, you know, not be injured afterwards, which that was my goal. So, um, yeah, I'm not that fast either, by the way. I mean, I, I'm actually kind of better at, 5k 10k distance sure like if i enter 5ks or 10ks here in austin uh there are there are definitely uh a small community of people in my age group that that can smoke me but if i enter a 5k or 10k uh and the right people don't show up i'll win the 10k oh right on okay yeah so 
so I'm not, I'm not that great at super ultra long distance. I've never, like I finished when I do 50 K's and 50 milers, I finish in the middle of the pack. I'm not, I'm not winning them or anything, but just for your listeners and for you, if you're, if you're interested, if you really want to know more about that whole strategy of fueling on fat in some kind of mega endurance event, Zach Bitter is the guy to go to. Okay. Okay. I've heard him on a few podcasts now, but yeah, he's got, when well, he has his own podcast with, uh, Dr. Sean Baker. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. But, uh, he is, he set the world record at, um, hundred miles on a treadmill. Oh, right. Or in a track, right? Oh, maybe it was a track. I think it might, yeah, it might have been a track. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, that dude's running like six, 15 mile pace and staying below aerobic threshold. Right. Like he's major fit. Right. Well, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the way I understood listening to him was he was using, he was using the fat up to fat, ad, excuse me, fat adaptation training leading up. And then he would use carbs as kind of like rocket fuel. Yes. Right. Okay. During, during the actual event or, um, attempt. Yeah. Yeah. And he even, he even freely says like, what, what is low carb for me when I'm doing 120 miles a week Right. is not low carb for somebody who's sitting on the couch. Right. 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 Yeah, I think and, it's and the context. He'll, he'll do like if he's got a hard hard training day, he'll do like 250 grams of carbs. Sure, but that's just to top off the rocket fuel for you know the extreme effort. Right. Yeah, I think that's it's the nuance of it. I think a lot of people they hear oh fat adapted, so they they're like oh my god, like zero carbs. But there's there's a lot of nuance and subtlety that I'm still not I'm still trying to learn about. But um, yeah, I'll have to well, dive deeper I, into their their uh, their uh, podcast. Yeah, well, and I think it's, it varies from individual to individual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? I mean, like not everybody. So are you familiar with the faster study? I've heard it reference a bunch of times, but I have never read it. Personally. Okay. It's fascinating. Okay. Um, but one of the things that they show in there is like among the fat adapted athletes that they tested, right. There's just like any other human trait, there's variation. Right. And so there's variation. So like the, the lowest, the guy who's fat fat adapted, who was the least fat adapted or the, the, the worst fat burner was burning. Like, I can't remember. I think it was like 1.8 grams of fat per minute. Mm -hmm. And the fast, then the best one was like 2.6 or something. But even that 1.8 was double what the non-fat adapted athletes were doing. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of variation and, and like, just because you can go on Zach Bitter's website and read exactly what he does, which you can do, that doesn't mean that will work for you or for anyone else. Right. Right. That's, um, well, and that's a great segue into, I want to ask you about being a primal health coach, but how, how do you approach something like nutrition where it is so nuanced and so individual? Whereas I think people want this kind of like blanket cure all, you know? Yeah. 
So when I'm coaching, um, I mean, I really stick to the broad brush basics of the prime, what the primal health coach <clears throat> basics are, which is, you know, don't eat processed food. Right. And if you think about the food that's available in nature, there's not a lot of carbs and sugar, right? So, and if you eat seasonally, which is also very primal, uh, that means in winter, you're going to eat mostly animal meat, right? And, you know, maybe there's some winter kale or um, I don't even know what else grows in winter. But, you know, there's not a lot of plant material that grows in winter if you are living far away from the equator, right? which most people are in America. Um, so just sticking to like not processed food solves 98% of the diet puzzle. And I was just, I was actually just telling the, my CrossFit coach this morning, cause I spent 10 days in Cancun and didn't exercise. And I, I didn't gain, didn't, didn't exercise and did not monitor my quantity of food intake. And now I still ate primarily. Um, but I've, I mean, I've, this time period and others, I've gone long periods of time without really exercising much. Sure. And as long as you are eating real, whole, unprocessed foods, you're not going to gain a bunch of fat. It just, your, your body, it doesn't work that way. Right. When were you, I suspect you were probably pretty active still, even without like intentional exercise down there. Actually, so that would be true for most of the other times. Okay. So like if I, if I go through a period where I'm quote, not training, sure, I'm still doing push-ups and pull-ups and squats and various other things. And I'll probably go on a bike ride with a friend or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so I am probably more active than a lot of people, even when I'm quote, not training. Sure. But in Cancun, I, I literally like laid around. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I bet it was. I have two, I have a 26 month old and an eight month old. And man, it's like, you're just exhausted from like, you forget that that's a workout, you know? Yes. Yeah. I'm at, I'm at the other end of the spectrum. I've got a, a 15 and 18 year old. Okay. It's more of a mental workout, I suspect. <laughs> oh, so have you ever read the book, The Four Agreements? I have not, but it sounds it's like something should. It's a good book. So one, one of the, the agreements is um, don't take anything personally. Mm, okay. And uh, yeah, ha having teenagers really makes you uh, work on that, um, that piece. Like you're... As a parent, you have teenagers, you're, there's just nothing you can do to, that's going to be cool or acceptable or not gross and dorky. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so for back to the primal health coaching, how, like, how does it typically work? Like what are you kind of more like a facilitator and guide for someone? Or are you prescribing workouts? Are you giving nutrition plans? What's like the kind of all encompass program look that's like? Good, that's a good question. So 
there's thousands of primal health coaches and I think we all do it a little bit differently. Okay. Um, you know, I know, I know some women that are primal health coaches that kind of focus on, um, like the working mom, uh, busy in a hurry, doesn't have time to work out demographic. Mm-hmm. And some of, some of their coaching would include things like CrossFit style workouts and stuff like that. Um, and then the, the, the primal, um, basic movements are like, let's see if I can remember all of them, pushups, pull-ups, squats, and planks. Okay. There might be one more. And that, that's kind of the minimum, right? Right. Is like, if you can do those things, you're, that's like a good foundation to avoid, uh, like dysregulated movement and range of motion. But for, for me personally, I don't do any one-on-one, one-on-one coaching. Okay. I just have, I have a 12 week online program. Okay. And so I try to sign up anywhere from five to 12 people to do my 12 week program. And then, uh, and I actually was doing this before COVID. Okay. Uh, it's on zoom. Right. So that kind of opens me up to like, not just the Austin area. And, uh, so I have this 12 week program and it goes from, uh, and I, my program assumes that you are where I was seven years ago. Okay. Not necessarily interested in diet, uh, just kind of running in place, trying to keep your family and your job and, uh, anything else not blowing up in your face. Right. Right. I mean, that's where a lot of people are is like, once you get into a career and a family, it, it takes a lot of attention just to like, keep the gears turning. Right. And that's how people fall into, Oh shit. I woke up and I'm 40 pounds overweight and my, I got, got a bad back. I I totally can see how dad bod, happens. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm fortunate that I can kind of be flexible with schedules and whatnot, but I can, I totally, you can't really understand until you're, you know, in the trenches, but, um, I totally get it, you know? Yeah. And so my program is really geared for, for someone who is kind of starting at that square one. And so the first seven weeks is all diet and nutrition. Okay. And we start out at super, super basic. So like week one is install my fitness pal app and enter food. Don't look at the calories. Don't try to stay below any threshold or whatever. We're just going to spend one week learning this new habit of tracking our, what we eat. Right. And then at the end of that week, we meet again. And I ask people what they noticed, right? Because when you're mindlessly throwing food in your mouth and you're just going on your routine of like, okay, well, my routine is that I work until one and then I drive down to the corner to the Wendy's and I get my number four and I bring it home and, and eat it while I'm watching Ellen, right. right? Like that's a typical habitual routine that people get into. Right. And you don't notice all like 
how many calories that is, what the macros are, what you're putting into your body. And just the mere fact of people entering stuff into the, my fitness pal, like I get answers like, oh, well, I didn't realize that I ate so many Subway sandwiches. Like just simple, basic stuff like that, right? And it just starts people getting more into this mindful mindset where you're not operating on autopilot and you're like uh, back to making conscious choices. Okay. So that's step one. And then uh, as the seven weeks of diet and nutrition progress, uh, I just introduce new concepts. So like, I can't remember which week it is, maybe three. I say, okay, now we're going to try to stay under 150 grams of carbohydrates per day, mm-hmm. which is a very high threshold, right? Mm-hmm. So like for me personally, I'm probably around 50 to 100 per day. So allowing somebody 150, that's pretty generous. Sure. But if you're on the standard American diet, you're probably well over that, right? And when I we get into the class the next week after they've been trying to restrict to 150, and I reveal to them like, oh, I, you know, here, here's what I did this week. I'm at 78. They're like, whoa, like, you know, it just it's like opens up a whole new world of like, oh, this this is possible. It's not uh, something that's unattainable. Right. Right. And so you kind of go through the weeks, just adding, whether it's nutrition, kind of tightening the constraints. And then what about other lifestyle factors as well? So, so after the, the, my, you can probably tell like my, the system that I created is like designed to be very gentle, baby steps, easy to attain so that you get some success. Right. Well, that's smart. That's a good system. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so after the diet nutrition, uh, the next thing that I cover is sleep. Okay. And I actually think that sleep should be first, but I found that when people sign up for a health and wellness program, they expect the diet nutrition. Sure. Right. So if you start on sleep, uh, they, they kind of start to lose interest and they're like, wait a minute. I, I thought I was signing up for like, you're going to help me lose weight. Like what does sleeping have to do with losing weight? Sure. Now, people like you know it has everything to do with that, but the general public doesn't get that right. Right. So then I have a few weeks of sleep. Um, I cover lot, lots of studies that just show, uh, you know, that just simply not getting seven or eight hours per night leads to weight gain. And there's tons of studies out there that show like people who are sleep deprived are also overweight. Um, and that's eye opening to people. Then I kind of, um, incorporate that, um, the fasted window in with the sleep, right. And kind of teach a little bit about like what your body's supposed to be doing while it's sleeping and how, if you're asking it to digest food, you're not doing this other reparative restorative stuff because you're busy digesting food. Uh, then I try to ease into a little bit of like sleep hygiene stuff mm. with like blue light, uh, limiting, limiting blue light, using red lights, um, using screen, 
blue light filters, uh, changing your light bulbs at night, um, turning off your Wi-Fi at night, uh, even stuff like uh, making sure your nose breathing while you sleep, mm-hmm. which is more restorative because it activates parasympathetic more. And I mean, the number of people who, who, when I say like, Oh, do you wake up with like this crusty mouth? Cause you've been mouth breathing all night. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's over, it's well over half the people that come through my class. Oh, I'm sure. And I think most, that is what most people are doing. Right. right? I mean, it's, just part of the standard American thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So then after the, the, the sleep stuff, I do a little bit of movement. Okay. And most of the movement stuff is just geared towards, uh, the desk sitting and kind of restoring, um, basic function. Right. So most people, if they're desk workers, they cannot sit in a squatted position for more than 10 seconds even. And so just prescribing, Hey, work on your squat until you can sit there in the squat for two minutes. I mean, that that's, I often use the analogy in my class. Like I always get at the end of my, so my whole class, there's 40 different lifestyle changes. Okay which is a lot, right? I mean, if you're going to implement 40 different new things, that's kind of hard to swallow all at once, which is why the course is 12 weeks, but even at over 12 weeks, it's kind of hard. And so I always get this question. um, What, which, which one of these things moves the needle the most? (laughs) Of course. My answer to that is, okay, well, you've tried to squat and you can't squat down, right? Well, I couldn't either seven years ago. And let's just, for the sake of argument, say that over the course of 20 years, I lost 20 centimeters in my range of motion on my squat. That's one centimeter a year, one 365th of a centimeter per day. You think anybody notices that? No, you don't notice that. And that's how all of these lifestyle interventions are. It's like each one adds one or 2% improvement in your well-being. And you're not going to notice if you leave one out one day, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to make you feel any different at the end of the day. But if you leave that one thing out over the course of three years, you're not going to feel as good as you would have if you'd left it in. Right. Right. Absolutely. It's like the consistency is like, it almost doesn't matter. Well, in a way the consistency is that's what the thing is, right? Oh, I, I, I think so. I mean, like you see this all the time in gyms like golds or lifetime or whatever, right? You see some gray headed little old lady that's come like every time you go there, she's there, right? right? She's not, she's not doing, she's not bench pressing any kind. She's not even bench pressing, right? right? She's not bench pressing. She's not curling. She's not overhead pressing. She's not squatting. Right. She's just over there with her resistance bands or her medicine ball or walking on the treadmill or whatever, but she's there every day. Right. Right. And, and it, that is, that's the thing. It's like the consistency trumps perfection. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
how how do people uh, if people are interested how do they find your course? Uh, they can. I got a website. Okay. Primalrebootcamp.com. Primal Reboot. Yeah. Okay, I'll link that. Thank you. Primal Primalrebootcamp.com. Okay. Yeah. One, one thing. I have a Facebook group also by okay. the same name. Facebook same. Okay. Yeah. One thing I was curious to ask you, and you kind of tapped on it a little bit with the seasonal eating, but do you think there's something to kind of like seasonal movement in the sense of in winter, should you sleep longer, kind of be a little more just chill throughout the day? And then as the days get longer, you eat and you would eat less in winter because there's, you know, historically there would have been less food available as spring, summer, fall, kind of, you're a little more active, you consume more, you're up longer. Do you think there's something to that? Whereas, whereas now we're just kind of in this, the years basically, you could have the same day, 365 days a year. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do actually. I think there's a lot to that. Um, as you know, anytime you start looking at any kind of aspect of human health like this, it can get real deep real quick. Right. And, um, and I do think there's something to that. I don't think it's super practical for most people today to, um, lay around for the dark hours when it gets dark at four o'clock. Right. Um, but I do think that's what our primal ancestors were doing. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I do. And I think that they're like the big picture where I think that comes in is like all of nature. There's seasons of growth and seasons of rest. Right. And you kind of, you know, I tell people all the time, not so much in my class, but other people that ask for advice on training and whatnot, especially young people. And I wish I knew this when I was young. Everyone thinks that the workout is what makes you stronger, but it's not the workout. It's the rest after the workout. Right. Right. right? And so the workout breaks you down. Workout makes you weaker. catabolic. Yep. What's that? Oh, I said the workout makes you weaker. Yeah. The workout makes you weaker and it tears you down. It's the rest and the, and the rebuilding that happens afterwards. So, so I think, on a daily scale or a weekly scale, right? You want to build in that rest, but I think in a bigger, maybe annual scale and maybe even bigger than that too, right? It's like you want to have these periods where kind of like I am now where I don't have a big goal. I'm kind of in a bigger, uh, you know, schedule. My bigger schedule is like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not building my body at the right. moment. Right? It's Cancun season, baby. <laughs> yeah. Cancun season. <laughs> yeah. Cancun season, man. Right. Uh, but I do think there's something to that on a, on a, on the maybe annual basis. And I, and I would go further and say, and this is where it starts to get real complicated. Is like, so if you look at it from, uh, uh, the, the, the sun and vitamin D perspective, right? I don't know if this is right or not, but it seems right to me that vitamin D is kind of a, a decent proxy for what the Eastern cultures would call chi. Okay. Life force, you know? Okay. 
And even with stuff like COVID, if you look at COVID, um, the people who are suffering the most are the people that have super low vitamin D levels. And that even shakes out in like the, how it affects minorities more. Mm-hmm. So if you have darker skin, you got to have more sunlight to make the same amount of vitamin D. Right. So if your ancestry is from equatorial Africa and you're now living in Chicago, right? Your, your, your DNA and your body's asking for equatorial sun to make vitamin D and you never get it. I haven't seen any grand studies on this. I did. I've seen a couple studies that show that vitamin D levels are inversely proportional to COVID symptoms. Mm, Interesting. Okay. But in a grand scheme, like I think what's supposed to happen is when, when you're in it's winter and there is no sun to make vitamin D you're, you kind of are, um, like you don't have all the resources you need to rebuild and repair. Right. And then as spring comes around and everything else starts to grow, that's we're probably supposed to grow too. Right. And it's because you're getting that vitamin D and kind of stoking the flames and amping up the, the, the furnaces to get things going again. So I, I definitely think that there's something to that. Oh, that's a really, I mean, that's a really, um, profound insight that I, you know, vitamin D is one of those things. I know it's important. I know like it's high liver has a lot of vitamin D, but I don't, I need to, I don't know. I couldn't articulate specifically how it functions in the body, like on this molecular level. And I suspect what you're saying, probably there's a lot of truth in that as far as energy and vitality and all these things, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, vitamin D, if you look at pretty much any negative health outcome, almost everything, including cancer. I know it's the case for cancer. There's an inverse relationship between the prevalence of the disease and vitamin D. Right. Right. So like almost you can, if you want to verify it, just Google like breast cancer and vitamin D. Sure. sure. Tons of studies that show that the lower your vitamin D, the higher the chances you are of getting breast cancer. Totally. One, one of my questions here is just how do we, like, how do you reconcile what we know more or less to be true from a ancestral perspective with kind of this information age where, you know, man, it's like pounding keys all day. It drives me crazy, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like when I was, I was a, I was a wildland firefighter for two seasons and a wilderness ranger for three seasons. And, you know, you're out all day in the sun, especially you know, both those jobs, it wasn't like repetitive where I was doing the same thing every day. It was like some days we were, you know, fighting fire and it was crazy intense. And then other days you're like, you know, maybe doing some work around the station or it was chill, you know, you're in a team environment. And, uh, I just kind of question like, man, you know, I never wanted an office job, but I started a business and now I have an office job. Right. <laughs> but I just, I wonder if there's just, can we kind of take a step back where we've got all this awesome technology? Can we kind of take a step back, maybe consume a little less, spend a little less, and then live maybe a little bit more in tune with that rhythm? I, I think there's a lot to that. I think that, I think that's a great insight. I think that you're exactly on track. Um, and, you know, I think people often misconstrue the message. Like they, they see people like us and they're like, 
oh, well, those are the guys that they they don't want to use technology and they're, you know, they don't want to have the internet and they don't want to watch TV. And like, that's not what I'm saying. And, and it kind of goes the same thing with the diet, right? Like people are, I will approach people who ask and start talking about this stuff. And they're like, Oh no, 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 I, I can't, I can't give up my whatever it is, Big Macs, or I can't give up my tacos or whatever it is. Right. Sure. And part of the answer for me is it's it's awesome that the body is so resilient that you don't need to get any of this perfect none of it right you just need to um we're at we're at a point in in society now where it's de- death by a, a million paper cuts right right so so like being exposed to Wi-Fi and cell phone signals alone, not going to impact your health noticeably, probably. Sure. Eating uh, processed food all the time, would it affect you more? But like people didn't notice it as much 40 years ago when A, the, the processing wasn't as bad and B, there wasn't all this other stuff adding to the insults, the blue light, the EMF, the lack of sleep, the toxins in the environment, Mm -hmm. the air pollution, like everything. Right. And so I, to me, you don't, you don't want, I don't want to live a life where I'm constantly like, Oh my God, I can't go outside today because the air pollution is too high or, (laughs) or, uh, I'm at my, um, daughter's, uh, birthday and she wants me to taste this amazing cake that they ordered and I'm not going to eat the cake. Like, I don't, I don't want to live in that life. Right. Right. So for me, it's like taking, uh, this knowledge that I have and applying it enough of the time that it has an impact. And I, and I think, and what the primal health coaching stuff indicates is that it's about 80% of the time. Right. So if you can, if you can kind of get it right about 80% of the time, you're going to see results. Okay. And I don't think you have to avoid technology and, you know, all this. We, I think, I guess the real short answer is uh, we don't have to eliminate everything. We just have to be mindful. Right. And you just have to be like I was talking about with entering the food in the, the food tracker. Like just introduce more consciousness to what you're doing, right? And right. you'll notice, like, oh, I've been sitting here watching YouTube videos for two hours. Maybe it's time to get up. Right, right. Yeah, no, I just I think about this a lot. I uh you know, it's like instead of having to constantly like hack my environment, if I just created an environment that I don't I don't even have to, you know, it's a thoughtless existence in the sense of I'm getting all these I guess for lack of a better word, primal inputs without having to seek it out thoughtfully. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a part of the environment I've created. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about that too, like creating my ideal house, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Like buy some land, create this house where I got like a, uh, like the old Roman homes where, um, the, the middle, it's like a square and the middle is 
completely open. Oh, oh, right, right. Okay, yeah. There's like okay, like a courtyard. Yeah, like a courtyard okay. in there. Um, and then and then in your courtyard, you could have like rain collection, water collection. You know, do your own. Have all that. Have a garden out back. Um, have a cold immersion pool. Have a sauna. Um, have EMF and Wi-Fi uh, suppression. Like, you know, you, there's there's things you can do. Like, uh, they sell lead lined sheetrock for off doctors' offices that have X-ray machines. Oh wow! Okay. So you just build your whole house out of that. You don't have to worry about external EMFs. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean like all of that would be great. It's pretty impractical. Sure, sure. And so, I mean, again, it's amazing how resilient the body is. You don't need to be outside all day. Right. You just need to be outside in the morning to set your circadian clock. And again, in midday to get some vitamin D. Right. And, you know, we're lucky that, that humans are so amazing and so resilient and so robust and adaptable that that's all it takes. Right. Cause if it did take being outside all day and grounding and only eating local homegrown produce and animals, like that's, a, that's pretty unattainable Yeah, for most people, for sure. In the world we live in, it's yeah. pretty unattainable. Yeah. Do you, for, uh, as far as, as far as sun exposure and vitamin D in the winter time versus like July, is there a difference in time required? 100%. Okay. Yeah. So, um, there's an app and this app is called D minder. D is in a uh, dragon. D is in, as in, as in vitamin D. <laughs> okay. D minder. Yeah. Got it. Okay. D- <laughs> so, so there's what it looks like. Oh, cool. Okay. And you can see right there it tells you under that arc what time I can make vitamin D today. Oh, wow. So from 1042. Oh, wow. Okay. And then how long, how long would you need to be exposed to get an adequate amount? Well, it's, it's all again, you know, you, this, this nature is so amazing. Like this stuff gets real complicated real quick. So, so, um, you make less in winter than you do in summer. Okay. That has to do with the declination of the sun at during the seasons. And then above the 39th parallel, you cannot make any vitamin D in winter at all. Really? Yeah. Is that, is that the Arctic circle? No, 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 no. Uh, so Austin is about 37, 36. Oh, wow. Okay. So I wonder where right. we're at. So you're talking like somewhere between Austin and Dallas. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, so in Denver. Yeah. You're not making vitamin D now. There's an exception to that. Like I said, like I said, it gets complicated. Okay. The the exception is altitude. Oh, well right on for Colorado. (laughs) Yeah. So the higher up you are, um, the, and and all of this has to do with the, the atmosphere, Mm -hmm. right? So the more atmosphere that the light has to travel through, the more light is filtered. Right. That's why when the sun is low in winter, it's got a, it, that angle, it may, causes the light to have to go through more atmosphere before it reaches mm-hmm. you. Whereas when it's directly overhead, it's straight shot. Um, 
So the altitude makes a difference because it has less air to travel through. And it does, it's not going to make a difference at like sea level versus 2,500 feet. Sure. But it would make a difference at like between sea level and say 10,000 feet or okay. 8,000 feet. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Maybe even 5,000. I'd okay. have to look it up. Yeah, but the app will tell you all that. Okay. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so for, for me right now, right, I can only make vitamin D between 1042 and 2 PM or whatever it said. But to really answer your question about like, how much does it take? Several years ago, I did an experiment uh, exactly on this and it was February. So not a, not a very intense sun, but cause I'm in Austin, I can still do it in February. So I did my vitamin, took my vitamin D before I started and it was 39, which modern medicine says thir- above 30 is good. I, I think, I think, I think if you were able to go back in time and pluck a, one of our ancestors out of a cave 5,000 years ago, their vitamin D was probably like a hundred. Oh, sure. Oh yeah. Like way off the charts compared to what we are now. Right. And, um, so, uh, mine was 39. I thought that was a little bit low. I wanted to raise it. So I, all I did was I ate lunch with my shirt off outside at least three days a week. Okay. Sometimes it was five, but at least three. And in one month I raised my vitamin D from 39 to 47. Oh, wow. Okay. Just, just doing that. Okay. No supplements. Okay. It's like maybe 10, 20 minutes. Uh, no, it was, it was a solid 45 minutes. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. And that was so, oh, that was February. The thing about this app, I can actually show you this here. So when you, so it, it allows you to, to start a, what they call a sun session, right? And then. Oh, cool. It shows you right there how many IU of vitamin D I'm making per minute. That's wild. Okay. Right. So right now it's 38 IUDs or IUDs, IUs <laughs> per minute. Sure, sure. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Yeah, right. Do you, uh, do you think, I've heard this mentioned vaguely, but do you think there's something to our what's the right word here in, in modern medicine, the calibration for different nutrient levels, cholesterol, whatever. Do you think those standards are inaccurate or do you think the, there's a potential that the, where those were derived from were not necessarily what's optimal for health? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so there's a really good podcast called Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Oh yeah, okay. And th- those guys are super duper smart, man. One of them, one of them's an MD PhD, and the other one's like a whiz uh, software developer. Okay. And they've actually developed some AI to um, kind of comb through the literature mm-hmm. and kind of try to figure this stuff out. Okay. And Aside from that, just from like a real practical, basic, like, let's think about this standpoint. Uh, 
if we only started tracking vitamin D in people after everybody's indoors working, how do we know that that's a good level? Right. Yeah. Or the normal range. Yeah. Where do those ranges come from? Yeah, exactly. Normal range. Yeah. Where does that, is there like a specific study those come from or is it just someone, some doctor thought that was it, you know, a hundred years ago? I wish I had the exact podcast, um, from nurse balance. Okay. Drive, I'm sure I could find there's, it. There's an entire podcast that they did maybe two years ago okay. on this topic. Okay. And they go into great detail about it and there, and it's, it's different for every nutrient. Right. And, and, but one thing that they did for sure say is like, it was pretty clear once they started reading the literature that, that a lot of the uh, normal ranges are coming from the test makers themselves. Like they just make it up. <laughs> sure, sure. Like, like, oh, hey, look, we can now test for calcium. Okay. Well, that's great. Like, what do you do with that? Right. So they have to invent the normal range so that people will want to get the test. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So a lot of it comes just from the test makers. Some of it comes from... Some of it does come from some literature, sure. right? But there's all kinds of flaws in literature. Like I mentioned with the vitamin D, like if you're only measuring people that are indoors, like what do you, how do you know what it was 200 years ago when everyone was an agricultural worker? Right, right. Um, and then there's like some of the standard ranges are, are um, defined by the, uh, supplement makers. Mm. And of course they want you to take more. <laughs> sure. so. Yeah. So it's all over the place, but they, they actually try to establish their own normal okay. ranges. And those are the ones I use. And I think they're one, the ones that they have for vitamin D. I think they're, I think they say you're low if you're below 50. Oh, wow. Okay. And so for vitamin D, if like, if I'm not able to make it during wintertime, can I get vitamin D through diet? Would that be the way to kind of counteract that? Yeah, you can supplement it. It's there's some tricks to it though. Right. So first of all, there's multiple forms of vitamin D. Right. right? And then the one that we use. So, so the one that's in like a lot of times people say, Oh, you eat mushrooms for vitamin D, but mu- mushrooms are actually vitamin D two. Okay. And the one we want for our biology is vitamin D three. Okay. So, you can take vitamins. I personally, me, I'm a fan of whole foods supplements. Right. So, so in winter I, I use cod liver oil. Okay. So it has high vitamin D in it. Okay. And then I also supplement that with, um, vitamin K2 mm-hmm. and you can get vitamin K2 from grass fed butter. Okay. So do you take a, do you use the butter as a supplement or do you use like an actual supplement? So, so I, I think that it's best to get it from food. Right. And the reason I think that is because I think nature often puts cofactors in there that either work in tandem with whatever you are trying to get or help absorption or whatever, right? Like nature is way too smart for us to figure it all out. Right. But I do think there's something to that. And so what I do is um, in the when I do my morning coffee, 
right? I, I still do a, a form of bulletproof coffee. I put some coconut oil, some grass-fed butter, and some uh, collagen okay. in my coffee. And I add, uh, you know, the supplement maker Thorn. It sounds familiar. Yeah, it's available on Amazon, okay. but they're pretty clean. People like Ben Greenfield have have used them and stuff. Okay. Um, but they make these oil soluble, fat soluble drops. Okay. Of, of D and K two. Mm, okay. And so I take in my in the morning I take my um, cod liver capsules and I make my coffee with the vitamin K two in the butter. And then I add these drops to it right. in, in the hope that taking the, the actual supplement that's not real food with the real food will help absorption and stuff. Okay. Okay. This just, this thought just popped in my head. I wonder if there's anything to, again, back to the seasonality thing, but I wonder if there's anything to like an ebb and flow of nutrients, vitamins, calories, macros, you know, high carb, low carb throughout the year in the sense of like, I wonder if there's some intangible thing we just, you know, we haven't noticed or just can't comprehend about, is there something about depleting and then refilling the tanks or is it best just to always be at that, like topped off? You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm just, it's a, it's an interesting thought. That's a great insight. I think, uh, what, what that made me think of is autophagy. Sure. Right. So, so the magic in autophagy isn't, or it's a lot like the working out, right? So you're not getting stronger in the workout. You're getting stronger from the rest from the workout. And it's the same with autophagy, right? When you starve yourself, you're not getting stronger, you're weakening yourself. But what you're also doing is um, artificially creating this ebb and flow that you're talking about so mm-hmm. that when you reintroduce food, you are utilizing it much more efficiently and sending it where it needs to, where it's most needed. Right. right? That's the magic of autophagy right. is that when you reintroduce food, your body's going to regrow all that tissue that it uh, self ate, right? So autophagy, auto self autophagy eating. Uh, so the first part, when you're starving, your, your cells are, your, your body's eating its own tissue, right? right? And it's super smart. So it eats the least healthy tissue first, right? So you're clearing out all of, it's like pruning a tree. Sure. Clearing out all the, the stuff that's not top notch. And then when you reintroduce the food, you're going to rebuild all those tissues that were eaten, but they're going to be brand new. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I think there is probably something to that uh, idea. And I think that that, that uh, concept, it gives a lot of um, evidence to suggest like people who are, who are fasting, but they're taking vitamins and electrolytes and stuff like that. You're, you're not getting the full shebang there. Right. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's just, there's so, um, it's, I actually studied human biology in college, but it's like the more I've learned just diving in on my own, it's like, 
the hole just keeps getting deeper, you know? So, man. Oh, there's so much we don't know. I Exactly. It's like, yeah, the more I, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And what we as a collective don't know. So it's a, uh, but it's a really fun journey. So I enjoy it. It is. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't, I can't get, I cannot consume enough. It's, right. it's great. Right. I, I just looked down at my timer and, uh, I know we've I, been talking. For I, a while. I don't want to keep. I don't want to steal your whole day. You got you got vitamin D to uh, absorb, but um. Well, actually, uh, I don't know if you could hear it, but it's like freaking thunderstorming. Here. Oh no way! Wow. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Well, uh, dude, I appreciate you. Well, one, it was good to meet you. Yeah, likewise. We exchanged like a couple Instagram messages and uh, a few. E- well, I guess one email and had a two-hour conversation so yeah we should do it again sometime it's fun I, i'm all i'm totally down for it i didn't hey monkeys monkey dan here thanks for tuning into the show and i'm just i love hosting this podcast i love hearing from you guys so shout out to everyone that sent their masogi there's still there's still time so send it over you've got three days to get it sent that first week of january so i'd love hearing those shout out to rich shout out to cody Percent in there, Misogi. And like I said, I love doing this, and you can really help spread the good word of the wild by one, leaving a five star review wherever you happen to get your podcast, and two, just word of mouth. You know, we're we're a small company, it's literally like two and a half of us, and just word of mouth is such a huge help. So if you love our products, if you're enjoying the show, tell your friends and we can grow the monkey family. Thanks for tuning in. Monkey on.